1: welcome to the Q1 2020 AGF Management Limited Earnings Conference Call. My name is Annara and I'll be the operator for today's call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we'll conduct a question and answer session. During the question and answer session, if you have a question, please press star then one on your tone phone. Please note that this conference is being recorded. I'll now turn the call over to Mr. Adrian Basaraba. Mr. Basaraba, you may begin. Thank you for joining, and good morning, everyone.
2: I'm Adrian Basaraba, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer of AGF Management Limited. Today, we will be discussing the financial results for the first quarter of fiscal 2020. Slides supporting today's webcast can be found in the Investor Relations section of AGF.com. Also speaking today will be Kevin McCree, Chief Executive Officer and Chief Investment Officer. For the live Q&A session and answer period with investment analysts, Judy Goldring, President and Chief Administration Officer, will also be available to address questions. Turning to slide four, I'll provide the agenda for today's call. We will address the impact of COVID-19, discuss highlights of Q1 2020, provide an update on the key segments of our business, review our financial results, discuss our capital and liquidity position, and finally close by outlining our focus for the remainder of 2020. After the recorded remarks, we will take questions. And with that, I'll turn the call over to Kevin.
3: Thank you, Adrian, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. Before I discuss the highlights of Q1 2020, I wanted to address the impact of COVID-19, which has introduced unprecedented uncertainty and volatility in global markets and economies. AGF has a comprehensive package pandemic and business continuity plan that ensures its readiness to appropriately address and mitigate any business risks and impacts to clients and employees. We made a concerted effort over the past two years to move our office environment to the cloud to prepare us for times like these. Over this past week, more than two-thirds of our employees are working and signing on remotely with minimal issues. As of Monday evening, we have implemented a full work-from-home program except for certain employees working at our BCP site. Business continuity planning site, that is. In these volatile markets, we are focused on delivering the best possible stewardship of the investments that clients have entrusted to our care. We actively manage for and stress test all of our investment portfolios on a regular basis under various market conditions to effectively control for our liquidity management needs across our suite of investment solutions. We will continue to monitor the situation closely and follow the latest guidance from local, provincial, and federal health authorities to ensure our practices are aligned with the latest recommendations. Starting on slide five, we will discuss highlights of the first quarter of 2020. During the first quarter, we continue to execute against our strategy and stated goals. I'll begin with some highlights. Despite the recent market volatility, our mutual fund business reported gross sales of $562 million in a quarter, 9% higher than the first quarter of last year. Our private alternatives, AUM, reached $2.7 billion, up 27% from a year ago. And as of February 29th, our key strategies, including fixed income, global select, global sustainable growth equity, and emerging markets equity strategies are all performing above benchmark on a one, two, and three-year basis. In January, the AGF Global Convertible Bond Fund, AGF Global Selects Fund, and AGF IQ Global Income ETF portfolio earn fund-grade A-plus awards, which are given annually to investment funds and their managers who have shown consistent outstanding risk-adjusted performance throughout the year. On the U.S. side, one of our funds is a finalist for the 2019 ETF of the Year Award by ETF.com. The fund uses a long-short strategy to create a market-neutral stance that has provided a positive return for investors in the current negative market environment. On March 2nd, Damien Hendrickson joined AGF to lead our U.S. business and drive growth in key institutional segments. Damien was most recently head of Americas for HSBC. We remain on track to meet our sg guidance of 180 million. million, and the Board unanimously. Unanimous unanimously confirmed a quarterly dividend of $0.08 cents per share for the first quarter. Starting on slide 6, we'll provide updates on our business performance. On this slide, we break down our total AUM in the categories disclosed in our MD&A and show comparisons to the prior year. AUM ended the quarter at $37.4 billion. Mutual fund AUM decreased by 3%. I'll provide more color on our mutual fund business in a moment. Institutional sub-advisory and ETF AUM decrease compared to prior year, mainly due to the redemptions that we addressed in previous quarters. In the past several weeks, we received redemption notices from two clients with $760 million expected to transact in Q2 and $560 million expected to transact in Q3. The annualized revenue impact is approximately $2.3 million. The Q2 redemption is a sub-advisory relationship with an ETF provider that will have minimal financial impact. The Q3 redemption is due to a client internalizing their investment management capability. For our ETF business, our suite of Canadian and U.S. exchange-listed funds continues to experience growth. In the current volatile market environment, our liquid alternative products are uniquely positioned to meet investor demand for income and for risk management. Our market-neutral anti-beta strategy, which trades under the ticker 2BTL in Canada, is designed to provide a hedge to the equity markets, providing protection during drawdowns while maintaining upside participation. During the recent market downturn, the strategy performed as intended. While the S&P 500 was down over 20%, our market-neutral anti-beta strategy produced positive returns. Our U.S. long short dividend strategy, which trades under the ticker symbol QUDV in Canada, which is also offered as a mutual fund, is designed to provide income through equity dividends with a bond-like profile. Both strategies are available as U.S. listed ETFs and have seen record flows in recent months. Our private client business continues to demonstrate consistent steady growth with AUM increasing 5% year over year. Our private alternatives AUM reached 2.7 billion this quarter to our latest fund, which raised considerable capital from institutional investors in Canada, United States, Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. The fund has exceeded its $1 billion target size and is expected to achieve final close later this year. Turning to slide 7, I'll provide some detail on the mutual fund business. For the past 12 months, ending February, the Canadian mutual fund industry reported net sales of 23.9 billion compared to net redemptions of 9.7 billion for the prior 12 months. Despite the improvement, starting the second half of February, North American markets were significantly impacted by the COVID-19 outbreak. In this challenging environment, our mutual fund business reported net redemptions of 344 million. This includes a redemption of approximately 200 million from a client invested in the Institutional Series which we disclosed on the previous call. Excluding net flows from institutional clients invested in mutual funds, net redemptions were $141 million for the quarter compared to $104 million in Q1 of last year. I know we usually provide guidance on when we expect AGF to return to positive net flows. It is difficult to offer a meaningful outlook when the precise impact and length of COVID-19 pandemic remains unknown. I can tell you that in speaking with our retail and institutional distribution teams, that business is still being done, but done differently. With COVID-19 impacting all of our daily routines, meeting with clients and prospects have become a far more virtual transaction. Our call center has seen no material change in volume or types of calls and transactions. March 2020 numbers remain similar to March 2019 activity. On the retail side, our wholesalers are in constant contact with advisors leveraging digital outreach tools and sharing portfolio stress testing with a capability we launched last year. At the same time, we are providing expert insights and thought leadership to support clients in navigating this rapidly changing and uncertain environment. We are also actively using a behavior profiling model that incorporates all our touch points with users across our global client channels. We have an agile approach, which allows us to adapt as we test and learn. This allows us to arm our sales team with new insights as the model learns. Before I turn the call back to Adrian, I want to give a quick update on performance. AGF has historically reported percentage of AUM above median, which involved comparing our trailered mutual funds to the population of competing funds. With the proliferation of non-trailered versions of mutual funds and ETFs and their inclusion in the above median data set, the metric was no longer relevant as we have previously discussed. Starting this quarter, we will begin reporting performance of our mutual fund strategies using gross returns, removing the impact of significant fee structure differences within the data set. As of February 29, 2020, our average mutual fund percentile ranking over the past one year was 40%. And our average mutual fund percentile ranking over the past three years was 46%. Since February 29, our performance has held up well. To put it into context, as of last Thursday, the MSCI All Countries World Index is down 21% since the end of our fiscal Q1. In comparison, our AUM, excluding private alternatives, is down 14% over the same time period. Keep in mind, roughly a quarter of our AUM is in fixed income. Year-to-date through Friday, 56% of our mutual funds perform better than the median. With that, I will turn the call back over to Adrian.
2: Thank you, Kevin. Slide 8 reflects a summary of our financial results for the first quarter with sequential quarter and year-over-year comparisons. For ease of comparison, we've included adjusted numbers and restated prior period results for F-16 throughout the remainder of this presentation. EBITDA for the current quarter is $30.2 million, which is $5.6 million lower than Q4 2019. This is mainly due to lower Smith & Williamson income and timing of sg Due to the classification as held for sale for Smith & Williamson, in Q4, we recorded 7.8 million of equity and dividend income. In Q1 2020, we recorded only 4.5 million of dividend income. Turning to slide nine, I'll walk you through the yield on our business in terms of basis points. This slide shows our revenue, operating expenses, and even the four commissions as a percentage of AUM on the current quarter, as well as the trailing 12 months view. Note that AUM and related results from Smith & Williamson, the private alternatives business, one-time items, and other income are excluded. The Q1 revenue yield is 110 basis points, which is consistent with the trailing 12 months. Looking forward, all else being equal, we anticipate our revenue rate may increase slightly due to the committed redemptions that Kevin indicated earlier, which were at a lower revenue rate. Q1 SG&A is a percentage of AUM was 51 bips, flat to the trailing 12 months. This resulted in an EBITDA yield of 25 basis points, which is one basis point higher than the trailing 12 months. During the slide 10, I'll address free cash flow, capital uses. This slide represents the last five quarters of consolidated free cash flow on a trailing 12 month basis adjusted for one-time items as shown by the orange bars on the chart black line represents the percentage of free cash flow that was paid out as a dividend. Our trailing 12-month free cash flow was $51 million and our dividend payout ratio was 49%. Our total remaining capital commitment to the private alternatives business is $61 million. Given the recent market volatility, I'll address what this means for AGF's capital position and profitability. Like other asset managers, a persistent market downturn negatively impacts our profitability and cash flow, as a significant portion of our revenue is driven by market-sensitive AUM. In general, for every $1 billion reduction in average AUM, not including private alternatives, net revenue would decline by approximately 7.4 million. Keep in mind the sensitivity of our AUM to equity markets is buffered by fixed income and can also be bolstered by a weak Canadian dollar since much of our AUM is global. Depending on the length and severity of any downturn, we can adapt by adjusting our SGNA to reflect market conditions. Our priority is to preserve financial flexibility and positively influence the sustainability of the dividend. Please keep in mind, with COVID-19 and its impact to our daily routines, we will have savings due to reduced or revised projects and activities, including travel and meals and entertainment. For now, we're reiterating our $180 million expense guidance for 2020. At $180 million, we will have removed close to $15 million of expenses as part of an expense management program that began three years ago. This program positioned us better to deal with the current market disruption. In a worst-case scenario, there may be some concern about our leverage ratio or staying within financial covenants. Although we don't disclose our covenants, nor do we provide forward guidance on this, Keep in mind, we do have options to manage this. For example, working with our credit providers, which have always been very supportive. sg could be further reduced. Previous work here has improved our position, as I mentioned. And if necessary, we'd consider monetizing items on our balance sheet that are not strategic. We have investments in alternatives LPs and seed capital, which total $166 million, and that compares to our long-term debt of $218 million. And all of this is before considering monetization of Smith and Williamson, which we have disclosed could provide additional cash of approximately $280 million. So turning to slide 11, I will turn it to Kevin to wrap up today's call.
3: Thanks, Adrian. Q1 was a solid quarter. We continue to make progress against our stated objectives. Mutual fund gross sales were 9% higher than Q1 of last year. Our mutual funds and ETFs continue to receive industry recognition. Our private alternatives AUM reached $2.7 billion, furthering our goal of reaching scale on this platform. Our balance sheet remains strong, with $166 million of marketable securities. Our transaction to monetize S&W, while delayed pending the approval of the FCA, remains active and is expected to close later in the year. We anticipate receiving total cash of $280 million upon closing. We believe the pullback in economic activity will result in a recession, but central banks and governments around the world are now flooding the markets with liquidity that is crucial to minimizing the current crisis. And once the pandemic is under control, we should experience a swift recovery led by a rebound in global stock prices. In this challenging environment, caution, not panic, should be everyone's mindset. It's not if, but when we recover from the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic and we believe the best course of action for investors remains a broadly diversified portfolio that includes stocks, bonds, and alternative asset classes and strategies. I want to thank everyone on the AGF team for all of their hard work in these challenging times. This concludes the event, and we look forward to your live questions.
1: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. If you have a question, please press star, then one on your touchtone phone. If you're using a speakerphone, you may need to pick up the handset first before pressing the numbers. Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then one on your touchtone phone. Our first question comes from Gary Ho from Desjardins. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
4: Thanks. Uh, Good morning. Maybe just to start off, uh, sure, it's been topical. Yeah, Are you able to provide some color on where your AUM stands currently? and uh, how has net flows been in March so far? Any uh, commentary on outlook uh, flows would be helpful. Thank you.
0: Sure, Gary. This is uh, Judy Goldring. Thanks for the question. Um, our AUM as of end of day yesterday sat at $33 billion, including private alternatives. That was down about 12% off of the Feb 29th date. Um, if you exclude the private alternatives, then we're at $30.3 billion, and that's down about 13%. And as we know, the market's being off you know, closer to 17 to 25% uh, in that range. I think we're, we're holding up very well on that. Um, when we're looking at net outflows as well, I think it's uh, helpful to be fairly transparent at this time. So we have seen, of course, a flight to safety for uh, investors. Obviously, they're very nervous. Growth sales are down about 5% for us, with growth redemptions up about 17%. And we're seeing net outflows for the month of March from um, – uh, sorry, from March 1st to uh, yesterday of $65 million, and that's diff- um, versus the $23 million number last year. So, we are seeing some movement for sure. Um, Kevin, you can speak to uh, the outlook on where we see, we see this market going.
3: Yeah, no, no, I think you have to put in perspective, um, there's been a, a pretty good run from equities uh, for the retail investor around the world right now. And as you think about that, they redeem out of an equity fund, they sit in cash on a a sweep fund for whatever broker dealer etc so you're going to see a gap between gross and, re- and the redeemed side right now In terms of outlook your second part of the question Gary I mean if this thing um, uh, and we anticipate this is not months and years this is I should say not quarters or years it's probably uh, a month months maybe that we're in this um, and to the extent you get economic activity started and you get these markets to stabilize um, we think you probably bring back um, some of those flows back into equities, Uh, but clearly there's some volatility ahead in the markets. But I I think the longer it goes, I'd say the more uh, psychological damage you may do. Uh, If it's a shorter event, as I suspect, uh, then I think you do get some type of recovery in markets later in the year and therefore flows.
4: Great. And uh, yeah, those numbers are very, very helpful. Uh, Maybe second one, just on the S&W, we've gotten the update last quarter, but doesn't sound like the language has changed much in your MD&A. Are you able to provide any color on where the, dance, uh, the deal stands today, any repricing risk from, uh, from your end?
3: Yeah, that really is no update. I mean, as you know, that the, the discussions with the FCA are actually ongoing. Uh, management of both Tilney and Smith and & Williamson remain committed to the transaction. So, you know, it's really in the hands of the FCA, which, as you can imagine right now, has got a few of the things they're dealing with. Um, but there's no... Uh, Nothing either positive or negative to um, to update on uh, vis-a-vis where we were last quarter on this. We still anticipate, as we said in our comments, that this transaction closes sometime this year. And remind me, have they refiled? I don't know with the first one is that there were some struggles with it, but have, have the Tilney and SNW refiled to the FCA already? Yeah, so the application is Tilney's because they're the acquirer, so we're not privy to the exact application process, um, but I understand that there have been, uh, we know that there have been obviously dialogue with the FCI uh, about what is needed to remedy um, whatever their concerns were. Okay, got it. And then just lastly, maybe a numbers question
4: for, for Adrian. Uh, the GP income this quarter, 0.1 million, uh, was quite a bit lower than what kind of I have my model, and I think you've guided to in the past two to four million annualized. Can you help us think through this, uh, and what should we model on a runway
5: basis?
2: Yeah, thanks for that, Gary. Um, I think the, uh, that estimate is probably a decent one for the underlying earnings, but you probably noticed, as disclosed in our financial statements, we began to accrue carry, uh, and carry is an expense that basically increases the accumulated losses. So that's going to defer uh, the recognition of the income on our income statement. Uh, but again, keep in mind that the accrual is a uh, non-cash. We don't recognize the other side of that, which is, the fact that when we actually earn carry, it will be a benefit to us, obviously. Um, so, uh, you know, the other uh, thing to keep in mind, Gary, is again, in, in note five, we disclosed that we receive a dividend from our, our alternatives platform during the quarter. That might be a better way to sort of assess the, uh, the profitability of the platform going forward.
4: Okay, got it. Uh, those are my questions. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Paul Holden from CIBC. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
6: Thank you. Good morning. Um, so, just want a point of clarification on the uh, on the last answer. Adrian, if you don't mind. So, I, I think the explanation I hear is on, let's call it, base fees and base operating costs. The GPs are r- running roughly break-even um but the profitability is assumed to come from carried interest is that is that correct
2: uh no so here let me let me clarify um the uh the underlying earnings that we have um guided on are i'm saying there's no update to that um but the recognition of those underlying earnings are going to be deferred because just for accounting purposes we have to start to um effectively accrue carry or account for carry even though it's a non-cash expense and we don't recognize the other side of that entry which is that uh, you know eventually if carry is paid we will be the recipient of it Um, so it's really a difference between the the underlying earnings which you can't see that gets um basically buffered by or we're limited in terms of recognizing it because we have to accrue expenses such as carry and it's just an accounting phenomenon is that clarified?
6: Okay, I think I understand. Yeah. Um, so, question related to Smith and Williamson: um, Do you have um, an estimate, or do you know if there's break fees associated with uh, with that deal if it doesn't happen to go
3: through? Um, yeah, Paul, this is Kevin. We haven't disclosed those terms, um, but. Um, uh, just for the call, there are no break fees in this uh, transaction.
6: Sorry, there are break fees on. There the transaction? are
3: no. There are no break fees in this transaction. No break fees. Okay, got it. Um,
6: okay, maybe an update on the private alternatives, or thoughts really around implications from COVID, and maybe even more importantly, what's happening in the uh, in the energy space given where oil prices are.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Paul. It's, yeah, it's, Adrian, uh, you want to start on that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as far as the the our investments in the alternative LPs and the business in general, you got to keep in mind that um, a lot of the stuff is not correlated, uh, and a good uh, good uh, reason for that is that the investments that are made are longer dated. They tend to have uh, contracted cash flows, um, and you know, including um, any of the investments that are exposed to what's happening in the, in the oil sector we're pretty comfortable with how the, the portfolio is positioned.
6: OK. Um, and then last question, you talked about balance sheet um, flexibility. Do you have appetite and capacity to buy back stock stock uh, opportunistically here?
2: hey paul it's uh, it's adrian again so we're in we are in blackout because of uh the um Smith and williamson deal so we would be we would be restricted from doing that, but uh, absolutely it's something that we would consider in the context of of our capital plan
3: okay, Got it. okay. Paul, this is, paul Paul this is Kevin as we've said in the past too you know when when Smith, Smith and williamson does transact you know we will take a balanced approach to this which is um, you know, paying down debt, obviously, um, but also uh, some amount of a buyback, but also um, reinvesting in the future. So uh, that has not changed.
6: Okay. It. Those are the questions I had. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Jeff Kwan from RBC. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
7: Hi, good morning. Uh, My first question uh, was uh, for Judy. I appreciate the transparency on the AUM and the the net uh, sales performance. Just wondering if you can comment in terms of um, how that either, you know, daily or weekly, like how that trend has been, has it been, you know, as the markets have sold off, that's actually been picking up or has it been, you know, relatively steady?
0: Um, Well, I can talk about sort of certainly our processing flows have been consistent from a back office perspective. We've obviously seen some uh, spike of movement into money market, um, but, you know, there's sort of a consistent um, trend of, of, you know, behavior that we're going to see with these investors as they respond to the market. There definitely is uh, a nervousness for sure, and uh, we're seeing that.
3: Yeah, and Jeff, it's Kevin. I would say that in the beginning when this thing started, obviously, you saw a large a gapping uh, in the redemptions. They've seemed to, um, in the last couple of days, now at a more... Stable pace, so I'm not. Uh, it doesn't feel like it feels like the panic selling is somewhat behind us. I still think there's a lot of nervousness out
0: there.
7: Okay, so it might be more of a, a gross sales issue than necessarily redemption. Is that a fair characterization?
0: Yeah, at this point, I think people are sitting on the sidelines for sure uh, until they see where this settles out. Okay,
7: and then Adrian, um, y- you were talking about with the um, some of the investments like in the energy space, and, and it sounds like with what you've got invested or the nature of, of the types of investments you've got um, that there isn't as much of a kind of a potential hit on the mark to market uh, for those investments. Um, but I also wanted to, to, to ask about, you, you talked about it's possible looking to monetize certain investments if you want to increase your liquidity position, just wondering how you balance that in the context of, you know, asset values broadly speaking have come off and then also having uh you know, other investors in those assets um, that may also have different considerations as to whether or not to monetize certain investments.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jeff. So I'm just really talking about that uh, in the context of a worst case scenario. We don't have any intention to to already need to um, monetize or liquidate anything. It was really just more so to um, help you feel comfortable around the strength of our balance sheet.
7: Okay, but but you would have to kind of figure out the balancing out there because it's not just assets you own entirely yourself. You have other investors that you'd also need to take into consideration. Is that the right way to be thinking? Uh,
2: about- no, not necessarily, Jeff. So if you if you think about the um, private alternatives market generally, there is a secondary market for LP units. Um, so um, I don't think that there's there's um, any, any sort of coordination that would be needed. But again, I want to stress that um, really what I'm talking about is, is the strength of our balance sheet I and mean, we don't have any attention or any need to to liquidate anything at this point in time.
7: Okay. And just the last question I had uh, uh, for Kevin, can you describe, I guess, if it's there is some sort of general way you can describe how the funds were positioned before the market started to sell off? Um, has that positioning changed even a little bit um, given where we are today?
3: Yeah, Jeff. Thanks. Um, so I think many of you guys know um, we've spent time talking over the last year. We've been somewhat in the camp that things were um, we were moving to new highs on things. Um, we had played a little more defense last year, which hurt relatively as the markets, uh, you know, had 30 plus years, uh, 30 plus plus type percent years. Uh, that meant our balance accounts had more cash. Um, we used uh, in our balance accounts um, to hedge um, one of our liquid alt uh, liquid alt ETFs, which is an anti-beta ETF. So in fact, in the quarter. At its best here, um, with the market down near 30, it was up plus 18%. So that's a pretty dramatic spread. So having a couple of percent in all of our uh, balanced products, um, a big chunk of it in our sector class, has really um, left us in pretty good shape um, with that thinking. We have um, started to leg some of those tools uh, out and leg back in to the markets, but I think we're going to be in some chop from here. But performance relatively, um, and I don't have through last night, but you know, I think probably 60% of our assets right now or more are in those top two quartiles. And most funds, I think almost all funds, uh, or I'd say the majority, are, are well ahead of their benchmarks right now. So that defensive posturing has clearly helped. And I think as we go back to advisors um, after this settles down, I think that's going to be a pretty good story to tell.
7: Okay, great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Graham writing from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
2: Hi, Good morning. Um, Kevin, if I could just follow up on that, the, the anti-beta performance. Is that the market neutral ETF that you were uh, referencing, or is that a different product?
3: Yeah, th- no, that is. Um, we launched that in the U.S. We've had it there for since 2011. So we've had a pretty good track record there and know how it acts in these kinds of times. Uh, It was kind of built after the thinking of 08, Um, and what it does is it shorts the highest beta names in the market and goes long an equal basket of low beta names. So if you think about beta, uh, in an up market, high beta names, if the market's up 10, maybe they're up 12. Uh, The same thing doesn't happen. There's an asymmetry to beta. So when the market's down 10, those names tend to be down 17. So the ability to short that bucket of things gives you a negative or a down market, your shorts work a lot harder for you, and since you're long, the low vol piece of it, those hold up better. So you put them together, even while it's market neutral, you actually have a negatively correlated asset. So what you're hoping for is in a really down tape that you're actually generating a positive return, all rules-based. So you're not worried about the skill of a manager.
2: Okay. So bottom line, the product's performing as, uh, as expected through this volatile
3: VolTel. Um, exactly as it should have. Great.
2: And the performance that you talk about, 60% of your assets in top two quartiles, is that through March or quarter to date, or, or it, what? What's the uh, time period for that? Yeah,
3: that's year to date.
2: Year to date. Okay, thanks.
3: Uh, and March has been similarly strong. And I, I should have said that you know the U.S. version we launched back in, uh, as I said in '11, we launched the Canadian version of that anti-beta, market neutral ETF here in the fall. So it was timely to be able to use that within our Canadian products and with advisors during this. Got it.
2: Can you talk about the flows on the liquid and ETF side? Um, like,
3: I'm not sure we can actually break
2: it out of uh, of your institutional AUM line. Yeah,
3: yeah um, they're going to – again, people are using these tactically, um, so it's a spot in time at its peak. In other words, think about it this way. Um, some advisors, as market risk was picking up, were adding to it. As markets have bottomed, they've taken some off, so they use it more as a lever back and forth. But at its peak between the two uh, shelves, U.S. and Canada, we were probably north of a half billion from virtually not a lot last year at all. If you think about the Canadian shelf just launched in the fall. Got it. Okay.
2: Um, the, uh, uh, Adrian, I'll jump to you. The SG&A guidance, $180 million. Um Is that um, including the IFRS-16 impact? Yeah, it, it does include that uh, grant. Okay, can can you help us quantify? Was it roughly 1.2 million in the quarter? Yeah, um, it's about a million dollars, yeah, of interest and depreciation, and uh, there there's an offset as far as the savings on rent, yeah. It's a couple, yeah, a couple okay. million dollars, yeah. Okay, that's fine, that, that helps. And then just lastly, I, I think you said you don't disclose the covenant on uh, on debt to Ebitda, um, is that correct? Um, That's right. Okay. Uh, how about just your comfort level on leverage? Then you know if for some reason Smith and Williamson is delayed or uh, or um, markets stay volatile here for a while, like what is your uh, comfort level before you have to start looking at SG&A or potentially uh, you know worst case monetizing assets?
3: So maybe Adrian, I'll, I'll take this one first, and maybe you can uh, add in. Yeah, I think uh, Graham, you know, we we have been very, um, uh, I'd say, cautious about our thinking about this. As you saw, we took 15 million dollars out of expenses the last couple of years, uh, not because um, you know we've been uh, thinking about where markets are. Um, so you know, in, in the worst case scenario, and we we'll let's assume we have to be here another year down this level and, and take it even further down. There's a lot of things we can do, and so I'd say that I'm not concerned about it, but, you know, the things we listed out in the the call commentary earlier were really to show you that there are things we can do in those worst-case scenarios, but I don't think we're there. Um, But we obviously will have planning around that, so I have a fair amount of comfort uh, in our balance sheet right now. Okay. I mean, Adrian, anything you want to add there?
2: No, I, I, uh, I think, you know, over the coming uh, weeks and months, we're going to continue to monitor AUM revenue expense levels and, and adjust them as needed. Okay. Uh, um, that's it for me. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Tom Metkinen Mac- from BMO Capital. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
5: Yeah, thanks. Good morning. Good um, morning. A question about the fee rate, uh, 108 beeps in the first quarter of this year versus like 102 in the first quarter of last year. Um, what's driving that? Is there any kind of uh, shift in mix here? Or is there anything else happening? And is it sustainable?
2: Hey, Tom, it's Adrian. Thanks for the question. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, it really is mix, and it's uh, effectively a larger proportion of our AUM is uh, retail. And so when we give our guidance that, you know, a couple of basis points a year decline, that's sort of with a with a fixed asset mix, uh, but obviously quarter to quarter, uh, year to year, the mix can change. Um, so the direction of fees, by line of business, is probably flat to down, uh, but when you look at it overall, I think you pointed out correctly that mix uh, can have a very large effect on it.
5: Okay, and with some of those uh, institutional redemptions coming out. Uh... Is that, uh, well, the denominator shrinks, is the the impact on the numerator is a little bit less just because there's more retail?
2: Yeah, that's correct, Tom.
5: Okay, and then I just want to go back into these uh, kind of worst-case scenario talks you've talked about here in terms of monetizing. Um, I mean, we've heard you say, well, that would be a worst-case scenario and this would be a worst-case scenario. What is this worst-case scenario? Uh, Is it... uh, um, you know, how much more of a decline in markets, or is it uh, we don't get Smith and & Williamson? And uh, I was wondering if you can share any color in terms of what uh, you, you mentioned. You did do some stress testing, but uh, um, if you could share with us what your worst-case scenario here is yeah where you start monetizing let's, things.
3: Yeah, so Tom, it's Kevin. So um, let's assume um, we fully expect that S&W is going to monetize if if it weren't to monetize, that's not going to be any kind of a trigger for us. S&W is a well-performing asset, uh, has provided a good dividend, uh, and the business continues to do well. Um, so what we think about is a market that goes from here, another 20 to 25 down, and we're there for a couple of years. right? That's a, That would be in my mind where we'd have to start thinking about how do we you know, just optimize our business for the future, as all, as all firms in our industry will on, both, on all sides of it, right? I don't think that scenario is likely, um, but that's why we're saying it's, it's probably worst case. But it doesn't really—it doesn't really center around S and W. Obviously, if S and W transacts, uh, it'll be. Uh, think about it; having cash in this environment would be actually um, a pretty um, be a lot of optionality for us to do things. So, right. But worst case is not really around S and W at all, because um, we like that business. At the end of the day, if it doesn't transact, it's performing well. It's really around a market that stays here and is at this a duration that is just way out
1: into the future.
5: All right. Okay, thanks for that.
1: Thank you. We have no further questions at this time. I would like to turn the call back over to Mr. Bessaraba for closing remarks.
2: Thank you uh, very much for, for joining us on today's call. Uh, our next earnings call will take place on June 24th. 2020 when you will review results for Q2 and details will be posted on our website and an archive of today's call will also be available and uh, the AGF team wishes all of you uh, good health and good day everyone.
1: Thank you and thank you ladies and gentlemen this concludes today's conference. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.